0: Welcome to the second episode of Faith, Hope, and Prosperity, hosted by Austin Green. Today you'll hear from Greg Godfrey about his experiences relying on Christ through hard times during his journey as a daredevil, entrepreneur, and filmmaker. We hope that as you listen, you will receive inspiration from the Spirit for your professional, personal, and spiritual life. After getting an education and starting his family, Brother Godfrey snuck onto Disney property and was hired as a stuntman. That job didn't fit him, though, and he spent some time doing whatever work he had to to support his family. That's when Nitro Circus was born. Greg has produced and directed various films and worked with the world's greatest risk-taking athletes. He started Nitro Circus and built it to become a $100 million brand, selling out massive venues all across the world. Today, he'll share how the Lord has taught him from a young age to push past fear, repent regularly, and live with no regrets. I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: So welcome to the show. Thank you for thank you for being here.
2: You're welcome. <laughs> nice to be here.
1: It's uh it's colder here than it is in Vegas, so I'm not not used to it but it's
2: yeah you showed up at the wrong time there's a foot of new snow there's another foot coming tonight it's yeah. chilly
1: yeah it'll be a, a good drive home tomorrow but <laughs> anyway okay so let's start with a, a small introduction would you just tell me like who you are what you do if you were going to sum it up in an elevator pitch
2: my name's greg godfrey i am a Daredevil, I guess, a filmmaker slash sports nut that started a brand called Nitro Circus in 2003 with Travis Pastrana, who's kind of an action superstar and yeah, built it into all of us together, the team, we built it into about a hundred million
1: dollar brand. Wow. Okay. That's awesome.
2: No, it worked
1: out. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it doesn't. So. Yeah. So what are you doing now?
2: Um, I retired from Nitro in 2014 and I've just been working with my son and different things and trying to find ways in which to give back to the world. So that's, that's my intention.
1: Now that you're kind of set, you're out helping others.
2: Yeah. Trying. I mean, I just like stuff like this. I think it's rad that you guys are (laughs) asking questions, you know, to try and figure out how you're going to do whatever you're going to do in life. Yeah, yeah, stuff like this.
1: Okay, awesome. When did you decide that you were gonna be a a daredevil and have the funnest <laughs> job on earth? Were you were you young? Like how did you figure that out?
2: You know, I was um, I was kinda raised by wolves. I, I wasn't raised in, in you know, the, the LDS religion. I was I was kind of a, a rowdy kid and we raced motorcycles and my father had a racetrack that was in Salt Lake City called Bonneville Raceway. So there were nitro funny cars and top fuelers, which are just a form of racing and stock cars and motocross, and so i was I was raised around all that and then, as I got older i I just loved racing. I loved the aspect of traveling to the races. I loved competing at the races. I loved the thrill of riding a motorcycle. so I left to go on my mission i i I wouldn't say I was. I be, I chose when I was 18, I met a girl, and she talked me into going to her house one night for family home evening, and I didn't know what it was, I had no idea, and I go into her, her house and just felt this feeling, and I said, I don't know what this is, but I got to have it, and she started talking to me, and I'd known, you know, because I grew up in Utah, what it, what it kind of was, but I didn't know to the extent it was, and changed my life, went on a mission to Catania, Italy, and what was it? 1988, a long time ago, and wow. yeah, two years, and I, I mean, obvious, but I say that because halfway through our mission, a lot of missionaries that knew Russian got sent to our mission, and that was right when the wall came down in Russia and East Germany, and they started sending missionaries into Russia,
1: Whoa.
2: and for whatever reason, they started them out in that area. In so, Italy, yeah. So anyway, we they were there for a year and then all of a sudden they're in Russia. It was just, at that time we were kind of on our own and it fit me because it was a grand adventure. It was people that were kind of hostile and crazy. I mean, the Italians are loving, but they're kind of crazy. Like they're, <laughs> they're very toxic, I would say. Oh, and, man! And, and they're, they build beautiful cars and beautiful homes and yeah. all that. And they art and it was just a wonderful place for me to get sent. And then I was able to kind of forge my testimony in that and prior to that it was weird when I was a kid I was I, I would compete in wrestling and football and, and different sports because I wasn't any good at school and I wanted to win really bad and I remember my sister had gone on a mission and I was trying to understand what that meant and because in wrestling you you basically fast because you're cutting, cutting weight all the time and I'm a 15 year old kid and kind of lost no direction and she challenged me she said look you're fasting already why don't you pray and i'm going to give you this book and it was the book of mormon and she goes read it and i started to gain a testimony from that at that time and it really taught me at a very early age by myself like i said i was raised by wolves it was not a gentle environment which i was raised in and and uh you know i learned about how to rely on god and and take it to a different level and that that helped me through my mission because i was all you know you In Catania, Italy, in the 80s, late 80s, you were on your own. Yeah. You're with the mob. You're down in Sicily. You're in southern Italy, Calabria, Puglia. And it was nuts. It was the Wild West. There were car bombings all the time. It was just a rough, rough place. That you
1: witnessed? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh.
2: Yeah, because they were trying. At that time, there was two judges out of Rome that were trying to prosecute the mob. So there was this massive push they were going after the mob and it was it was a war zone it was like i always ex- like ex- explain how it was is it felt like you know the dark knight if you've ever seen that movie yeah. how judges are getting blown up and there's just anarchy that's what it felt like but it was exciting <laughs> what? yeah and you felt kind of protected so yeah a lot of people were dying wow so that's insane so it humbled the people though too
1: yeah You kind of opened them up,
2: but I was built for that, you know, and so then I come home and uh, I got married and had my first daughter, Megan, when was it, 1992. Okay. Yeah. She she's, she's 30. Yeah. Yeah. 29. But, and, and I was trying to decide what to do, you know, coming home from your mission and you're, it's confusing. They tell you to get married. So you get married. Yeah. And sometimes that can be difficult, you know, you're, you go through, and I think missionaries always do better. They're much more prepared for marriage because you've lived with companions and understand how to get, give and take. And anyway, so, but my wife had not gone on a mission, so Uh, it was, but you learn, you know, and you grow. And she was, she was willing to stick in the fight. We had our first daughter, then our second daughter in 94, and We moved down, finished school at the University of Utah, I graduated in film studies, and we moved down to California, <laughs> and I told her we're going to make movies, Yeah. and I finished my last year of school, it was, in, it, it was a Bachelor of Arts, it was film studies at the time, which would be a communications degree to, to a sense, uh-huh. and yeah, the journey started there with my career. You know, my wow. family had started two years early, but three, three years earlier than that, but
1: so, are you glad you went to school for it before getting into it?
2: Yeah, you know, nobody in my family had graduated from college, so my dad really, really pushed me to, to go to college, and and I did. You know, I, I, I don't know if it was necessarily the guys building you're sitting in here, Todd Peterson, that started Vivint. He always tells people to have that they need a they need a trade. Like, you need to if you go to school, like filmmaking was good because it taught me how to direct and produce, right? Uh-huh. But if you go to school, you know, become an accountant, you know, do vocational art or whatever. Find something specific. Don't hit it. Like, so you have a trade. Yeah. Not something vague. So you
1: got your special skill that you can market for yourself. Yeah.
2: And then you can figure out the rest of it. But that, yeah, I think in that respect, it did help me.
1: That's cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So then the journey started. We went, moved to L.A. immediately. I, I finished my last semester of school while I was in L.A., I snuck on disney's lot because i heard this story that steven spielberg had done that so i snuck on the lot and, and got a job and you
1: snuck into disney and they gave you a job yeah
2: i walked right into a guy's office by the name of sam mercer he was at the time he was running hollywood pictures he said if you got you got the balls to do that <laughs> you deserve something that's so, awesome Thing. yeah so he gave me a job but then I realized quickly that I wasn't built for an office like I didn't realize how bad I was it was know?
1: all office work yeah
2: it was producing okay and so I started to learn the difference and then I had a good friend of mine that was directing a bunch of shows that were on Disney's lot at the time okay home improvement and then there was another one called I can't remember what it was it was with Burt Reynolds big shows at the time yeah And so I saw, saw how he was directing and writing and I said, I want to do that, you know? And, and again, I was fortunate enough to have these different experiences and my faith was being tried because my poor wife had, was, it was, it was a struggle. We were starving. Yeah. Trying to make it work and you have two kids, but you know, your faith is tested to the unteeth degree and some kids don't have that experience. They kind of land into a, a situation that they they don't struggle like that but that was not my experience my experience was you got to give it all yeah to get there and so back to the point of faith and prayer of what got me through when i was 15 years old in wrestling got me through my mission it really got me through those early days of my career and i was rejected so many times and i'm very persistent so <laughs> It, that job that I was talking about at Disney ended in six months and they said, you're not built for an office. Basically they fired me. Yeah. And then I was supposed to be up for a production assistant at the time on these other shows and got caught up into some politics and didn't get that. So then I came and I told my wife and I'm cutting weeds on Disney's, you know, I thought I had this grandiose career in front of me. Just to take care of my kids and my wife. Was I was cutting weeds on Disney's ranch, but wow. I I didn't care. You do what you got to do, right? Right, make it work. And I figure God's going to help me figure this out and take care of it. And we started what was the beginnings of Nitro Circus in, in 1995.
1: You already had these connections just because, like stunts and well, cuz 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 of racing. Okay, racing m- been doing motorcycles. Racing. Okay.
2: So that trans I, I just figured out a way that I could take like Hollywood was way too structured for me and yeah. way too political. I was not I was not into politics. And so I I decided that I really loved racing, loved it. I loved writing and so I wanted to do something creative and interesting with my friends that people would want to watch. And so the first film we made was called Fistful Throttle. And I raised money from that from Suzuki Motorcycle Company, and I raised money from another company called Answer Products, Eddie Cole.
1: Like they sponsored you for Right. It? Okay.
2: And that's how I got the initial money to do it. And then I raised some money from another company called Axel Sports, which was Jim Hale. Okay. So these people really stepped up and helped me. At the time, there was nobody doing any of this stuff. It was super, super difficult to make a movie.
1: And it was a pretty expensive mm-hmm. project.
2: Yeah. Today, you can go and you grab your phone and yeah. I mean, yeah, just, I was shooting on film, video didn't even exist. I know this is so archaic. Well, you had to process it, and then you had to da 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 da. There were so many, it was so expensive.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: But we did it, you know, and we made some really cool projects. And the one thing I was really good at was massive, massive risk and danger. So that's what I focused on, you know. I, somehow we would find these incredibly dangerous stunts. But we could live through it, and I think that came back to prayer and and faith, too, because if I felt bad about the stunt, we wouldn't do it. Really? If I felt good about it, we would do it, and and Nitro was raised on stunts, you know? Yeah. So we did that for a couple years, and it did okay. We survived and um, raised some money, you know, just back and forth with business, and it was... It was probably from 95 till 2001. We got involved with a company called Ojo. Right. And David Wonderly and Michael Pratt. And I talked them into making a movie called Global Addiction. Okay. And... I had this crazy idea that we were going to throw this superstar, Travis Pastrana, off the Grand Canyon, you know, like a, he would come out of the desert and just explode into this canyon and go flip into the canyon. And Holy. At the time, nobody had done anything like that. Yeah, It's pretty common now. Like Red Bull just did a huge thing with a French writer. Wow. And, yeah, they believed in it, you know. So we got a bunch of money to make that movie and pulled the stunts off. There were some pretty challenging moments where we thought, you know, this might be the end of us. Like somebody was going to die. Every time he stepped on set with me, it was always this mindset of like somebody could die. Cause it was always pushed to that level. Yeah. And Travis, when I hooked up with Travis, he was the same way. He pushed it just as hard. You know, he kind of was, came out of the same. He was a much better athlete than me, but uh, I think it was a little more artistic than him, and he helped me with the athletic side, and I helped him with the, you know, the filmmaking artistic side. So came together, and I brought a friend into mine that, uh, again, these same principles, you know, I used over and over again. I would fast about it. I would pray. And if I didn't feel right about it, I wouldn't do it. And if I felt just even the slightest, like, positivity about it, I would pursue it. Wow. And I, I don't think these answers come super dramatic it's 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 so subtle and you got to be listening you know especially I mean I was in a situation where I could not fail at this time I had three little kids had a wife that you know had supported me through some difficult difficult times and I was like somehow we've got to figure this out so you know applying those principles over and over and over again and trying to and you make so many mistakes and you screw up and you've got to like not be afraid i always tell my son i said fail quick and fail fast Mm -hmm. and pivot and learn how to maneuver to what's coming your way because it is such a ride and as fast as you want it to come at you it comes at you so if you can maneuver and listen it's lightning fast how it starts to come to you and especially when you get attuned to that like you're you, you you're almost in this different dimension you know where you're kind of like you're you're making decisions not based off of just traditional numbers da. da, yeah. da, da. it's like based I'm, I'm very much an artist and so that's where I kind of live mm-hmm. trying to have people that make sense out of all the numbers and everything and yeah we just it it felt I remember when we came up with the name Nitro Circus it felt right huh. and I felt that I belonged more in sport than in film and there's a big difference you know yeah and so nitro circus was meant to be a sporting b- brand that's based more in entertainment but it's still a brand that believes in competition and sport you know? yeah. and sport is you know if you go back before we're so we're so uh, um, ingrained in like football soccer and but you know initially those sports started with people just playing and wanting to compete and have fun. And, and we take it to such a level that it kind of takes the fun out of it because everybody's making so much money, but we commercialize yeah. it. Right. And nitro went back to the initial roots of like, all right, let's act like we're in the backyard playing. Yeah. And what would we, we do as friends? And that's what happened. And it just, it, it, it I wouldn't say it took off right at the beginning. Mm-hmm but in 2000, so was, we started that brand and everybody hated the name and I loved it. Yeah. And everybody... It's a good name. Well, that's what everybody says now cause, <laughs> and that's the other thing is don't ever think the name is stupid. It's always about what you put behind the brand yeah. that makes it more important. You know, it's not necessarily the name. Yeah. I, I think because some people have the greatest name in the world and there's no content behind it. It means nothing, right? Right. So... That's interesting. Yeah, it and and it... In 2006, we had some pretty big investment money come in and, and and the world just turned upside down. I mean, we started doing bigger, more dangerous, more cinematic. You know, Travis would, he was the athlete, there's no question, and I would try and turn it in. It was my form of kind of ballet or my form of beauty. It was super violent and crazy, but it was what I liked, you yeah. know, and... I didn't, I didn't understand that until later that that's what I was kind of, I would do these massive crossover stunts that were so intricate and difficult. We had trucks and bikes and, you know, big trucks and monster trucks all flying through the air at the same time. And, you know, to me, it was like my form of my Picasso, you know? Wow. Yeah. And it, it worked because then those, those scenes started to explode and people, and there's no internet, but yeah. then we got a gig. I was tied in with the Jackass guys, Johnny Knoxville. That was an interesting one. Okay. And Jeff Tremaine, which you think are con- counterintuitive to what, you know, we believe in our church. But, yeah. you know, they're good people. Right. They just didn't, didn't like um, adhere to a lot of the moral questions, I guess. But they yeah. were awesome. They, they helped us get a show on MTV. And and that was the other thing is Nitro stood for, it doesn't necessarily anymore, but at the time it stood for family. Like I wouldn't let mm. any content in that a mom would be scared to show to her children. Yeah. And I think that that family atmosphere, and MTV wasn't known for that at the time. Yeah. At the time MTV was a big deal. Now it's nothing. but Yeah.
1: I, I think that was interesting when you said that you wouldn't do a stunt if you didn't like feel good about it. And I was thinking, when you were working with the other guys from Jackass, did they kind of behave the same way? Did they not do a stunt if they didn't feel good no. about it? No. <laughs> they would just do it.
2: <laughs> well, they would never done stunts to the level that we were doing stunts. I mean, okay. Jeff Tremaine would always say, like, a Jackass stunt is meant to fail. Everybody accepts that. Uh-huh. A Nitro stunt, if you fail, you're going to die. You yeah. know, the difference in what we were doing, but... I think Tremaine would we would challenge each other, but there was a lot of respect. I think that's a positive environment. It's always good to challenge one another, yeah. but you got to be able to respect each other. So if I challenged Jeff, if I felt really bad about like a situation, I wouldn't let up on it, and he'd give in, and vice versa. You know, he would come to me and say, "How do you feel about this?" You know, and it was I was a really collaborative. In, Jeff was amazing. He is an amazing director. I know. A lot of times people think of Jackass, but he is a clever, funny guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope he... Yeah. I think the world's seen that, but his stuff's so like voyeuristic. It's kind of a little crazy. Maybe people don't enjoy that, but he's, right. he's a really good director. Anyway, that's how we work together.
1: Okay. Cool. So with all of this going on, with all of your... You talk about how if... You fail a stunt in Nitro Circus, you pretty much, you're, you're dead.
2: Well, some of them, you're dead.
1: Did you ever fail
2: one? Oh, yeah, but not not to that level. Right. I mean, it was a take, you know, if, if you've grown up racing motorcycles, you, you know that part of the deal is broken bones, like in concussions. That's just part of the deal. Just happens. Yeah. Like I think most sports, you know, you get a concussion and, you know, there's all these protocols, which I think are great. Yeah. Motocross isn't like that at all. Hmm. So all these guys kind of came out of that world. So they accepted that, you know, broken bones were part of the,
1: everyone already knew. Yeah.
2: Nobody wanted to be paralyzed. Nobody wanted to die. And that's where they would, you know, I feel like the gut check is what I call it. Hmm. You know, we would, we would ask and support each other in that situation. And then, you know, I, I got out of nitro in 2014 and there was quite a few. And I don't, I'm, I'm not saying it was anybody's fault, but there were some heavy things that happened.
1: Yeah. So how did you deal with all that then?
2: Uh, well, luckily when, when it was my deal, it, we never did. I mean, we had, I had a nephew that was paralyzed in a motorcycle race, but you know, when as a family it was super difficult, but it was nothing to do with Nitro. And you know, he's an inspiration he's wonderful and he's handled that challenge extremely well. But within Nitro, we just never had any of that happen. And then I think, this is my opinion, you know, once we got away from, I think, relying on the Lord, you make decisions based on the world, you know, and you can't have that much intuition or faith or understanding if someone's going to get worked from a stunt, you know, you just go for it. And I think everybody thought that's what we did initially, but that wasn't it, Mm -hmm. you know, it was... Much more methodical, but I think we're watched over too. I think we're idiots, but we are watched. Over. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. I think was. we all are. Yeah, <laughs> we are. Coming down here, I saw a car spin out because of the the storm, you know. And it's yeah. like, yeah. Anyway, right. a million different things go wrong and go right.
1: Yeah.
2: Huh. So it's it's the danger thing is definitely, you know, it's what set Nitro apart. It's what made it work. Um, there's been some very bad accidents that have happened and you know you just kind of accept it and the riders accept it and they're they're pretty amazing about it honestly because again I I will say not in my when I was running the company but afterwards there's yeah. been a few things and and uh, the riders are amazing you yeah. know to to be a quadriplegic and have to deal with the rest of that situation for the rest of your life
1: you got to be a different kind of person yeah
2: they are there's a kid out of canada that was paralyzed and i i mean i i'm not with him all the time but it seems like he rarely kind of complains about it he's pretty positive
1: that'd be hard too because when it's your passion when it's your dream it's everything you're doing then that's got to be there's nothing worse that could happen
2: well, sometimes these guys they build certain contraptions to hold them on the bikes, like Bruce Cook, the one guy that was paralyzed. Whoa! And I'm, I was watching that one happen. We were in, uh, um, again, I, there there was some. We started the live show, and that exploded. We were over in or uh, Australia, New Zealand. We started over there. Um, right from the get go, we were selling out their arenas. You know, eighteen thousand people, two nights in a row, and I mean, I never. I'd never done shows like that. that there was that, and they're, they're ravenous, the fans over in Australia, ravenous. So it would step it up. They were Australians that we were bringing in, were amazing athletes, and so it was just this explosion of what was going on. So we started that in 2010, and the first show we did in America was 2000, um, the first tour we did in America was 2000 and yeah was it 14 or 13 I can't even remember no it was 13 and we the first show was in Ontario Canada and this kid from Canada you know it's his hometown yeah he wanted to do this double front flip and I just felt like there's he has no business doing this that was my opinion
1: uh-huh.
2: and you know there was people that wanted that stunt he wanted to do it it's his choice you know but I'm like I'm, before he goes, you know, his Kickstarter broke off. I mean, there's all these signs of just, like, don't go for it. But yeah. moto guys, you know, they go for it. Just send it, yeah. Yeah, they do. And I'm just like, I told the paramedics, I said, do you guys, can you handle broken backs? Because, you know, we're going to see one. And, I, and if Bruce hears this, I hope he's not bummed out by it. But it's like uh, I stood there, and I was just waiting for it. And he came down, and you saw the spine snap. And his legs went they go stiff when it happens and his legs went stiff and you know changed his life and you know you're trying to deal with what's going on and and when they break their back it's like it's really panicky because they feel like they're suffocating and there's just no movement they you know if they immediately lose feeling in their legs it's scary yeah it's really scary and anyway Bruce came back from that and he still performed in the shows he did backflips like he had a contraption on his bike and he would do a backflip in the show and he still rides and he does stuff on so he's taken his passion a different direction he probably would have anyway Mm -hmm. as you get older but yeah it's 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 heavy heavy stuff at times that is a crazy world to live in so but when we did that first tour in the u.s everybody was so amped you know yeah And, and and here this has been building for 10 years you know and we had that song if you've watched any nitro stuff it was the dropkick murphy's and boy the second that would start to come on and people would lose their mind yeah and and then you know the process of that it you know the guy that helped us develop the the live tour mike pora he did a good job at like timing and how to yeah we, but anyway, we sold out that Ontario. We sold out that. We sold out the Boston Garden. We sold out Madison Square Garden. We sold out um, in Philly. I can't remember what that's called. But they're, you know, these are 18,000. Yeah. Like we're in downtown Manhattan. We're driving around on tour buses. Prior to that, my son had been on a tour bus for three months in Europe, you know, just showing show after show. You wake up. You don't know where you're at, what's going on, because you're what just the all heck? the insanity. And you get on the bus, and it was like rock stars. And it was a big movement you know we had had I think 10 semi truckloads and you know five or six buses full of athletes and they were kind of nuts they'd get into town and get go crazy and tear hotel rooms up and it was just I I mean I always kind of wanted that it's exactly what I wanted as a kid and it's it came out even better than I could have ever imagined
1: it was your dream and you were living it yeah Wow. But
2: way beyond what I expected it to be. Wow. And I believe that all comes back to, you know, choosing these paths right at the beginning. And there's so many things that go wrong. There's so many times I could have quit. There's so many times I, you know, everybody's telling me to, to, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? There's so many times to fail. You don't run out of money. You're da da da, 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 da. And I think if you believe it so deep inside of yourself, there's a difference, too, between, like, pride that you believe it or you know i gotta get recognized or whatever but if you really truly believe like you're changing i always felt like right from the get-go this was to teach my kids how not to be afraid that's what it was all about yeah and i think it worked i didn't care how much money how much you know how many stadiums we did all my kids performed in the live show and they they became kind of fearless for, not just from that but the way they were raised
1: and, they were all involved in it yeah wow yeah. it
2: was it was it was incredible you know from 2010 for the live tour until 2015 and then prior to that you know from Nitro being on MTV it was just and it was an explosion
1: essentially if if i'm understanding right you kind of started this up with humble beginnings like it's your your dream for a long time and it it really took off, right? And you guys were killing it. And then it kind of got a little bit like out of control with some people, right? Or for sure. So,
2: there was a lot of money involved.
1: <laughs> yeah, lots of money, fame, all of that, right? That, yeah,
2: so people start fighting and positioning.
1: How did you not go crazy. Like how did, how did you not get caught up in all of that?
2: I think I did a little bit. Okay. You know, I mean, I was pretty broke up and at that time, you know, you go to a doctor's like I was, there was, I, I've had over 30 concussions. I broke, you know, I have three, three or two surgeries on the right shoulder, two on the left knee twice, left knee twice, broken ankle, you know, just sh- shattered this, shattered that, broke yeah. my back, broke my, shattered my pelvis. Just on and on and on. So when that was happening, what they would do though, this is the problem, is they would give you tons of painkillers. Yeah. And I got strung out on painkillers.
1: Oh, And
2: so that doesn't help the manicness of this whole operation. And I'm kind of being manic and I've got to say, you know what? I got a problem. I've got a problem. Yeah. I got to back off. I've got to figure out how to deal with this for my family's sake and for my business partner's sake. Yeah. And I tried to. And I felt like I did. I did that. And I wanted to own that. But I felt like when other people had issues, um, and I did at times too, they would try and cover it up. And so they, yeah. you, you know, that it just when a business becomes big like that, and if I wasn't ready to lead it at the level I should have, and you know, it just imploded. I mean, it's still going. We sold it out to a massive firm in uh-huh. New York, but. Um, it's definitely lost. I think, I think from those days we kind of got a little mixed up and made some mistakes and, but I I was pretty young still, you know, when that all happened, I was, I mean, it probably sounds ancient to you guys, but I was 45. So that was pretty (laughs) young. Yeah. I still had another 15 years in me to go fight.
1: Yeah. So if you did it again, what would you do differently? Like, how would you not get caught up in all of that?
2: I don't know if I would change it. Huh. I think it's part of learning. Yeah. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not embarrassed about it. I just made some mistakes and they made some mistakes. And, you know, you just live to fight another day. I I, I think it, that's what we're here for, right? I mean, yeah. we're here to experience. I think the worst thing you can do as a human being is to be afraid so you don't go after it. And then to be afraid enough that you feel like you're never good enough. And that's such a disappointment because that's not true. We all are. We all have that ability inside of us, all of us. It's just how, how bad do you want to fight for it? And that's where everybody just thinks, oh, I'm not good enough, I don't matter, I'm not... I think that was one thing, like, after all that happened, you know, when Nitro was amazing, but I really started working on my mind. My, I felt like my soul was pretty good, but my mind was probably a little scattered. I think it was the concussions messed yeah. me up. And so you you go in and you set you start to realize you're in you know as as I go into the second phase I would say of my business career um, I just want to build stuff that's super rad and amazing with the same media connection, the same live connection, but I want to be able to keep my head straight. I mean yeah. fear's an emotion, right? Fear's fear's not real necessarily. It's there to teach you and right. keep you away from doing things you shouldn't do, but it's not like when you feel fear, you shouldn't do it. That's not the case. Right? It's just how you manage the fear, right? Uh-huh. How do you manage the doubt? How do you manage, like, as you get older, you know, it gets, I think you become a little more cynical. So how do you manage that in conjunction with, like when I was younger and I would pray and fast and go on these things and get answers, it was pretty clear and simple. I think I was a little less jaded and now you're a little more jaded, so you gotta say, all right, what's happening is my head's getting in the middle of it. My soul's in a good place, and, and so how do, I, how do I manage my head so that I can make good decisions going forward? So you gotta manage fear, you gotta manage doubt, you gotta manage your, you gotta be able to still dream and have goals, right? And you gotta write those suckers on the wall, and you gotta look at them every day, and you gotta be accountable you got to be massively accountable what you do wrong and what you do right. And if you can do that, you'll push through so much faster. I you know I'm saying, fail fast? Mm-hmm. If you can be accountable, then you fail fast and you move through it. You don't hold on to it. You don't beat yourself up about it. You just move through it. And that's the thing about the gospel. Like, we're, I, I believe in like radical um, kind of forgiveness and accountability. And the faster you... Are accountable for whatever you do in your life the faster you you have forgiveness come your way and the faster you are not to judge other people Hmm. because if you can put those things into play and you're not judging other people and you're being accountable for your own actions you're going to find success faster or more solid i should say yeah and it doesn't matter like you don't have to be a billionaire i mean you people discredit how important it is to be happy you know, keep your mind in check and to keep your body in check and spirit, spirit in check. And it's like, I don't care how much money you're going to make. If you don't master those things at a young age, you're never going to be happy. And your wife's going to be miserable. Your kids are going to be miserable. But you, if you can, and that's what the gospel is all about. It's trying to teach us how to, you know, that's what the savior taught. It's like over and over again, he's ridiculed. He's in this crazy, insane environment, but yet here he is, holding true to these teachings and saying, master your mind, master these circumstances. Don't judge, be the first one to say, you know, I'm sorry, let's move on. Yeah. So does that make sense?
1: Yeah. That was like the most inspiring thing <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> so how have you, cause you said you're, you're doing stuff with your son like right now, right? Mm-hmm. So how, how did you transition from where things were just kind of exploding and going crazy to, to now, how have you been able to bounce back?
2: Um, you, you know, I, I think it's just part of the process, right? It was like, I, and that's the other thing is have faith in the process. I think about mm. 50 years old, everything just shakes up Yeah. on purpose. I think it's meant to be that way. So embrace the process, be super accountable for what you're doing. And, and I, I I realized I shouldn't be in action sports the rest of my life. But I do realize, and I I tried to pursue some film. Yeah. But I felt like that's not where I'm supposed to be. And my son's trying to understand where he's supposed to be, and we're working together, and there's some other people involved. But it was like sport, you know, again, back to fasting and prayer and so on, you know, faith, and it's like sport is where I belong. And I know it. And so I rebuild in that direction and feelings. And again, being an artist, it, it comes to me in that way. That's the way I get inspiration. And I think it comes from God. And it, it starts right here, and then it builds out. And you've, sometimes you go down that, that vein, and it works a little bit, and then it stops, and you've got to adjust and continue down that. So as I've, as I've gone on, I think it's just taking all of this that I've learned I'm such a different level than I was at 27 years old, you know, and I, I love where I'm at in life. Yeah. I've never been so happy, honestly. And I've been through a lot, you know, my body feels good, which is amazing. I don't know how that happened. That's a miracle. Yeah. Usually (laughs) I walking up here with this cold, I couldn't even move my left knee and my pelvis and it's just not the case anymore. Wow. I'm running again, which is amazing. I don't know how. Wow. Yeah but i think it starts in the mind and i'm really happy. Yeah. And so when you're happy, and again, you don't have to have like the guys that own this building are so wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> they're the wealthiest people in Utah. And i don't know if they're happy or not, but i know i am. Yeah. And i don't it's not i don't have the money like them, but and i don't sit there and compare myself against them. I just try and go back to the basics. of being accountable, understanding, joy in the day, waking up in the morning, having so much gratitude in my heart that I can move the right way. I'm not paralyzed. And even if I was paralyzed, finding the gratitude in that and saying thank you for this, Hmm. saying thank you. My wife has this saying, I love it. And she talks about adversity or getting your teeth kicked in. And she calls it the juicy goods. Because when you get your teeth kicked in, that's when you're really being taught a lesson and that's when it, if you can absorb that and be accountable for it you'll find so much joy when you come out the other side and it's not money it's a transition in you you know and and the juicy goods are adversity adversity is you know it's pushing down on you all day long doubt but you're your worst enemy you know no again it comes back to doubt comes back to fear it's like you had the balls to drive up here and and try this yeah who knows where this is going to lead you right who knows you know you yeah. look you look at Joe Rogan and the impact that guy has on life and on his on this world yeah you know he's pretty out there and pretty crazy but I mean in the way he does it but he make, he has an impact
1: yeah
2: I'll have another I'll, I'll bring this one up to I would say most of the listeners of your podcast are going to be LDS, but um, yep. I shouldn't say that word. But anyway, Church of <laughs> Jesus Christ. But uh, years ago, I had I was taught a huge lesson about like judgment of uh, of what and how things are working in the world. Right? We have our perception, and and you know when the Book of Mormon play comes out, it's so horrible. Yeah at least it seemed that way right and the church is running um and a friend of mine is the one that talked the brethren into running ads in the in the booklet right on you know the book of mormon play and i had no interest in seeing it and and i knew trey parker and matt stone because they were from we're about the same age and they were doing south park and just in hollywood and that and i worked with some of their guys and apparently trey was ditched by a a mormon girl or or you know and because he wasn't lds and you know the game right because and then he hates the church blah 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 so he makes all of this propaganda about kind of how the church sucks but he was never like he did the right thing at the end of the day but anyway so the the church play or the book of mormon play comes out i'm in london i'm there for another deal for nitro by myself and i'm like okay heavenly father what do you want me to do i'm bored out of my mind what do you want me to do said go get on the subway i go get on the subway i'm driving you know i'm going down i don't even know where i'm going I, and I, this is fun right because it's yeah. an adventure right but i know i'll be led somewhere and i i i get out it says get out and i see you know the mormons are coming the mormons are coming the mormons are coming and that stupid thing you know yeah, the yeah. guys and i'm like hmm, be interesting wonder why i'm saying you know huh but i could feel i was being drawn that direction so I get I go down to Piccadilly Square. I come out of the subway right in front of me is the theater where that's playing, the Book of Mormon play. Okay. I'm like I guess I'm supposed to go to it. I walk in there. I said, "Hey, can I get a ticket for tonight's show?" And the lady behind the counter goes, "Sir, I'm trying to do my English accent, but it doesn't work, sir. <laughs> with, with been this is, I'm doing a, I am doing I do not know, I can't do it. <laughs> But she goes, this is the second night the play has been here. It's been sold out for four months. Whoa. You're not getting tickets. Yeah. And I said, oh, all right, whatever. This guy gra- I mean, this, this is all the truth. This is what happens. This guy grabs me and he says, he says, uh, he says, put your name in there. They're doing a lotto for two like VIP tickets. And he th- he take he goes what's your name and I said Greg Godfrey and he writes it and he throws it in it's like one of those lotto things like bingo you yeah know? yeah yeah they like and there's it like three hundred people out there waiting
1: to try and get into the yeah. one show yeah because
2: wow. for whatever reason they're doing this yeah and uh, the uh, the thing stops and I before I'd even read my name I said I just won they no pull my name out and they say Greg Godfrey so I got a VIP ticket to the second night in London what. To the Book of Mormon play. And okay. I didn't want to see it, but I was like led to this direction. Right. So you go down, and you know, I think I went and got some dinner and, and it goes down into like a, a, a an underground VIP area, it's a bar, and it was super fancy because everybody's got white shirts on and name tags. I no was way. pissed. I was pissed because they're all getting loaded. and Yeah. It's like, man, we're so easy to make fun of. This is not <laughs> And and uh, I'm walking through the thing. I'm like, all right, embrace it, whatever. Back to all my philosophies, right? I'm not yeah. judging, blah blah blah. Taking the experience. Don't be afraid to fail. Um, and I go up and I sit down. I mean, I am front and center to this play. And there's these two people sitting next to me, and they looked very, you know, Harvardish. And they were they uh-huh. were two Harvard uh, professors, husband and wife, doing a sabbatical at Oxford. And huh. so we start talking before the show, and they said, where are you from? And I said, Salt Lake City. And I said, well, God, that's, this has got to be interesting for you. They said, are you Mormon or LDS? And I said, yeah, I am. And they go, I'm curious of what you think of it. And I said, well, I, I'm sure I'm going to be pissed, but whatever. <laughs> I want to see it. Yeah. So, you, so anyway, that's how it starts. All this insanity, right, to get to this point. But it was, yeah. like, it was typically what I love is just this crazy adventure.
1: You just led down the oh, I love it though.
2: Okay. Because it's just you you know, it's an yeah. adventure. And I get I'm I'm watching this. And as far as like from a director's standpoint, like the singing is off the charts. Like it is amazing. Yeah. They get some things right. I think there was a return missionary that <laughs> was mad and yeah. decided to take a lot of it. But they're embellishing a lot. They did some stuff with Joseph Smith that were super bummed out about. Mm-hmm. And um but it was I, they say it's, you know, it's hap, what do you call it? Intermission. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm done. And the professors grabbed me and I, mean, I was super offended and it's hard to offend me, but I was super offended. Yeah. And they said, what do you think? And I said, you know, I said, I said, it's easy to make fun of us. We just, it's way too easy because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we put ourselves out there and that's, yeah. they're right in a lot of stuff, but it's, you know, and he goes, you're missing the point. And I said, I guess I am enlighten me what's going on he said all they're doing is making your church relatable to an audience it never would relate to in the first place huh. spot on what? and that's why the church put you know ads in there it says you've seen the play now read the room they put book,
1: ads like in the in the brochure
2: of this really? super offensive crazy play yeah But I'm just like, man, God works in ways. And Trey Parker getting ditched by a girl back in Colorado, you know, and he's so pissed off. God can make it work. He he utilizes this to make billions of dollars. But anyway. Yeah. So I I sat there and I listened in a different way, you know. and, And it was again, there were super offensive things. Funny, but offensive as hell. Yeah. it's so hard because you like
1: you want to laugh and you're like oh this is like actually really funny uh, but you're like ah i shouldn't laugh at this yeah but
2: but anyway but they baptize (laughs) so this missionary that somehow is out proselyting by himself right finds Uh, this girl yeah and baptizes her and she gets up you know they do the whole thing and it was done by immersion they bring her up and she sings the most beautiful song I, I can't remember what it is, but I felt the spirit.
1: Whoa.
2: I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I just got raised to another level of the way God works on this earth, you know, and it, and it was, I, I got it. And it was because of all those things and because I opened myself up to it and as an entertainer or whatever, people judge me all the time and say, you know, your stuff is offensive, you're doing stuff that's, you know, violent, you're teaching these kids, but I'm, yeah. I am relating to an audience that otherwise would never, ever, hear about it.
1: Wow, that's crazy! God could teach you a lesson about yourself <laughs> through this weird. Okay, go on the subway. Okay, get out.
2: I do that all the time, though. That's like one of my favorite things.
1: To just follow the spirit around. Yeah. Wow.
2: I used to do it on my mission, but I again, it was being raised by wolves, and I was on my own, and yeah, and you—that's how you, you learn to mm-hmm. communicate, right?
1: Wow. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, it's, it's but it's been a journey. Yeah, you know, I'm only I'm excited to see what this next 10, 15 years. I honestly never thought I'd make it. I'm 52. I know yeah. it sounds so old. To That's you not guys. that old. I I remember when I knew people when I was your age, they were 52. I thought they were yeah. old as dirt. Yeah, like oh, ancient. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm that. Yeah, and I I just I'm excited to to see what else I got to do because this first part of my life has been nothing but less than a journey An incredible journey
1: yeah wow god god has more in store for you for sure i think so otherwise you wouldn't be here right? i'd be
2: de- that's what i was gonna say i'd be dead i didn't think i was gonna make it to 30 because well wow. I, I just it wasn't that i didn't care it's not that i wanted to die or anything i just never wanted to have regrets that's my worst thing in life i yeah. think is having regrets
1: you'd rather do it than regret not doing it forever yeah yeah wow
2: Within reason. Yeah. Right, of course. Because <laughs> you could regret doing something too, right? Yeah, that's the balance, right? Yeah.
1: How have you seen God's hand, if you were going to sum that up, in, in this whole 52 years? He's directed you in little things, but how has he directed you in the big thing? Do you feel like it's been a you do what you want and he like supports you and helps you and, and gives you little corrections along the way? Or do you feel like it was a he planted this in you and you, you followed it or both. Okay.
2: For sure. It's planted in me. And I think, you know, a lot of criticism that I shouldn't follow it, but yeah, I think that's how he teaches you too. you have that initial desire in you, whatever it is that burning. And then, you know, and even if you don't have the burning, pray to have the burning of what it is that, you know, and you, you'll just, if you do it, honestly, you'll be able to be led and then
1: like your purpose is yeah. over
2: yeah and then little by little but you'll never know your purpose until you're further down the road it's right. just following those little intuitions and not again don't have any regret yeah and even if you screw up and do stupid i've done plenty of dumb things but i just i understood the principle of repentance at a very very young age i think again i think being raised in the circumstances i was in it's not like i I abused it, but I understand that's part of this process, yeah so and
1: you fail fast, fail fast and you have accountability and that's yeah. repentance, right it's
2: yeah. put it behind you wow there's no reason to hang on to it anymore you know I love when the Savior talks about the you know the prostitute. i well we assume she's a prostitute, but you know the the woman that they they said stoner she was caught not a in prostitute, adultery right adultery yeah. yeah. She's caught, and he's, you know, his words, you know, any of you that don't, uh, have no, I can't remember exactly, have no sin, cast the first stone. Yeah. What was the, you probably remember. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point, right? Yeah. We all have it. And and he says to her, now go and sin no more. That, yeah. that, to me, is super clear. Right. Okay, we're all, both, all of those people in that situation.
1: He was the only perfect one there. Yeah. Yeah. But perfect love.
2: I, I understand my savior at a whole nother level. And I think that at the end of the day is what I hold on to the
1: most. Yeah. Is your relationship with him.
2: And I think that's what it's about,
1: right? Yeah. Everything we're going through is building our relationship with him, whether we're making a ton of money and getting this, these crazy famous people around us, whatever, (laughs) or if we're just living a normal life, like we're growing closer to him.
2: I think so. Or, or we're growing away from him right and, and and our world's caught up in a lot of that yeah we're gonna be tested to the nth degree yeah. everything you got
1: man well to close up if there was any advice that you could give to to this group of of young people who are just figuring life out what would it be
2: don't quit I'd I think that's the tragedy. Like, I mean, I see kids all the time, like so talented, yeah. maybe too talented, right? They come in, they think it's going to be easy. And sometimes it is, but not very often. And they just, the ones that don't quit are the ones that don't have regrets. The ones that quit always have regrets. And I hate having regrets. So therefore, how do you get ahead of that? You don't quit. How do you mm. have the strength not to quit? You rely on your Savior. How do you know that's Him? It's because it's faith. It's all these things you're building. Yeah. And there's all this oppositions coming at you, especially in our world today, you know, and all the anti this, that, and the other. I'm yeah. so glad I had the experiences I had as a kid to, to just weld it into my soul. I mean, I saw both sides of it, and I made a decision at a very young age. I wasn't gonna do that. And I've, you know, I'm not saying that I haven't. Done yeah, it, but that would be my. We all mess up, but yeah, that would be my advice. Is just, yeah, fail fast. Don't quit. Hold to your guns, meaning hold to what is true. To you, really feel this burning inside of you. You're gonna be tested, of course. Yeah. But if you feel that. God's going to help you accomplish that. He's going to open doors for you, you know? I mean, what would have happened if I would have quit on Nitro? I I, I don't know. My life would be different, you know? And, and I'm sure
1: there were moments where you were... Many. Yeah.
2: Many, you know, and it was like I had a good friend that believed in me in a difficult time and came in and supported me, blah, 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 Travis. And, you know, I, get, I just happened to land, which made a huge difference, the number one athlete in the world at the time, you yeah. know? so man but none of that would have happened it's step by step right
1: yeah lots to take out of this don't quit fail fast accountability this prayer and fasting together kind of seems to be a pattern in your life too right me, not yeah. just fasting or not just prayer but like doing that together has been a, a key thing for you as well
2: you might my theory is when you fast is you're your spirit, your body succumbs to your spirit. And oh. when you're eating and feeding your body, then your spirit succumbs to your body. It seems like when you're fasting, I think that's the reason we do it. Yeah. You're you're mastering your body. You're that's mastering cool. the
1: physical. Well, I have learned a ton. <laughs> and I'm super motivated now to just go and fail well, fast.
2: It'll be interesting to talk to you in 10, 15 years, see where you're at.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And, and,
2: and just to, the guy that brought us together, if you're listening to this wonderly, he was one that believed in me. Yeah. You know, and, st- and stayed in it with me. So you got to have people along the way that you really respect that are guiding you and helping you and supporting you too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Well, then we'll, we'll close there. Thank you very much for, for being with me tonight.
0: Thanks for listening to Faith, Hope, and Prosperity, hosted by Austin Green. Find and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.